Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, um, and sometimes we go off the rails, and it turns into a lot of gibberish, but we try to bring it back onto the rails as soon as we can, so bear with us. Right, Ben? No rails, no masters. (laughs) No. Um, Let's tell the people where they can find your work, Ben. How about that? Sure. Uh, You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. Oh, and recently at Haggerty. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, we've got, uh, we've got an interesting thing going on today where we both picked very similar vehicles from the same automaker. And usually that doesn't, that doesn't happen on this, on this podcast. Usually we go uh, and provide um, a glimpse of all sorts of things in the, in the Unless in the it's like industry, an all-BMW podcast. Which has happened in or the Or an all-Fiat yeah. Chrysler Stellantis podcast. Jeep everything, that one. SRT like everything, ones. yeah. But this time we, we uh, both picked up some vehicles from Toyota in an interesting place in the segment, which is the subcompact crossover segment. Well, I mean, interesting is in the eye of the beholder, but I think that these two vehicles together form kind of an interesting lens in w- through which to look at crossovers. And specifically, that's because they share the same platform, and for many... From a lot of angles, they kind of seem like they're the same vehicle and aimed at the same customer. But once you get inside them or even spend a little bit of time with them, you quickly realize that's not the case. And so you end up with the situation where Toyota has built two similarly sized crossovers. One that's been around a little bit longer than the other. Mm-hmm. And yet they're fairly different. And I, I'm going to... I'm going to wager that one of them doesn't last too many more years before it's out of the market in North America. So naturally, we're talking about uh, the Toyota CHR and the Toyota Corolla Cross. Now, I also think Toyota is kind of playing this game as well with the Venza in the Rav Four, but I might be I might be a little off base there. So I that's a, that's an interesting comparison. I, I think we should give a little background though about what the CHR is slash yes. was slash never got a chance to be. Now, the CHR has been around since uh, roughly 2016. In the U.S., it arrived in 2017. And it is a front-wheel drive subcompact crossover that was originally designed to be a part of the Scion nameplate. Which womp, means, womp. Which, uh, which, I mean, it sounds a little sad, but Scion had a specific um, vibe to it. I think it's, is the it's, way to describe it's definitely it. sad when your parents die before you're born, <laughs> which is what, <laughs> what happened to the CHR. Ouch, jeez. I mean... That's a harsh way to look at it. But the Scion Link is important because the CHR is a weird-looking vehicle. Like, it it's, is... I think it's cool-looking. I think it's very um, distinct in the in the Toyota portfolio. I think, yes, distinct is a good word for it. Another good word for it might be overstyled. It, it's it's a vehicle mm. that was meant to, to kind of uh, embrace the style... The weird. It was supposed to be weird, I think. But it was like a style first focus that Scion was trying to get back to before they right. were wiped off the board because no one was buying Scions, right? When Scions first came out, they were weird and funky. Then they got really normalized and nobody bought them. And then they disappeared. And I think the CHR was trying to like, hey, remember when we built cool, unusual stuff? And then all of a sudden with Scion gone, they had to shoehorn it. They didn't have to. They chose to shoehorn it into the Toyota lineup. So you had a vehicle that really didn't look like anything else Toyota was selling at the time. Also, 
back in 2017 or whatever, uh, front wheel drive only crossovers were still kind of a new thing. Like right. m- most people associated crossovers with all wheel drive and winter weather yeah. and all that stuff. And if you're going to get a front wheel drive only model, it was likely to be a bit more affordable, like say the kicks or this new venue that we have. Right. Yeah. And that didn't happen with the with the CHR. It was actually kind of kind of um, expensive in comparison. Yeah. So they, you know, it's been soldiering along. We look, we checked the sales numbers. It's been doing like fifty thousand units a year in the United States, which is not bad. But it does right. like a hundred and ten thousand units a year in Europe, <laughs> and in Europe where it doesn't have any of that preamble about Scion. You know what I mean? And but I think Sammy, you pointed out why you you had a pretty strong line of reasoning as to why it was doing better in Europe. Well, I pointed out that it's available with a whole different powertrain than we get, which is two I think, different powertrains. Uh, yeah, uh, a hybrid powertrain, which I think includes all-wheel drive, and I think even a diesel, right? Yeah, there's a diesel. Uh, I, I that's at least that's what you told me, so I'm going to trust you on that. So it's definitely something, and I think no, also, no diesel. Sorry, a turbo engine. Turbo uh, a couple engine. of turbo engines. Yes. So it's definitely got more options, um, and I think that in Europe they're a little more open to the idea of – I think the CHR is probably seen as like a tall wagon, mm-hmm. and the lack of – buying it in front-wheel drive only was not such a weird thing. Uh, and they had the all-wheel drive option for – you know if you lived in Scandinavia and you wanted to own a Toyota. But um, the, the other vehicle we're talking about, the Corolla Cross, kind of slides in and ticks off most of these boxes. Uh, most of the boxes that you would get in Europe – but you're getting them here now. So what? Except the, for one thing. Except for the design and the name. Yeah. Right? So, like, so, but this, it's the same. Is, no, no. This is what. What we need to go back to this. This CHR. I think it landed in the U.S. with a bit of a of a of a muted thud. Like it really. No one really gave it a lot of love, attention. No one really cared about it. Yeah, it was cool looking, and that was it. Oh, it's front wheel drive, and that's it, right? And then it landed around for for four or five years. Got mild updates, and now Toyota is approaching the segment again in the Corolla Cross. Yeah, and so Toyota's new approach to the segment is a balance of taking all the magic that's worked in Europe. Is so that's different drivetrains because the what right now it's gas only, but it uh, it's coming a hybrid is coming, adding all-wheel drive to the mix, but going back to Toyota's traditional styling. So you're avoiding the funkiness of the CHR, but giving all the goodies that were available in Europe that made the CHR so appealing. And it's riding on the exact same platform. Both of these vehicles are on an identical platform. But, again, uh, I believe there's some significant differences in terms of not just how they look, but how they drive and what they're like inside. Okay. So, first of all, uh, let's talk about – can we talk about the, the pricing? Because I think they're almost identically priced. I think the Corolla Cross is slightly more expensive. Yeah. So, um, the Corolla Cross starts at 22000 Mm-hmm. And the CHR starts actually. You're, you, the the CHR is a little bit more expensive. It is at twenty three thousand. Isn't that interesting? So it's it's a it's actually and that's front wheel drive to front wheel drive. They both use a two liter engine. They yeah. both use a CVT. I think yes. Uh, uh, yeah, at that level, at that base engine, right? I I think you're right. And uh, it's it's not just a thousand dollars. It's actually like fifteen hundred dollar difference. So. Uh, the the other thing too is I believe that the Corolla Cross is larger inside, especially at the rear, because the CHR has that kind of sloping cargo mm-hmm. area, uh, whereas the Corolla Cross gives you like sixty six cubic feet of space, which is pretty close to a Rav four um, mm-hmm. in terms of practicality. And that, but that, the cargo space in the CHR is also, is actually mildly better, so you get more passenger space in the in the Corolla Cross, but less. You're saying that the total cargo space in a CHR is more than 66 cubic feet? 
I think so. I'm going to double check for you here. I've got it with me. Because that seems unlikely to me. I but mean, you're talking with the you're talking with the, with the seats, seats folded. Down. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. What is it? Like? <laughs> Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Okay, so it's right. like twenty twenty or so less. But what about when the seats are up? When the seats are up, I think that it's like thirty in the Corolla Cross. Where did I get these numbers from? Oh, Sorry, okay. it's twenty-five. Okay, I've got nineteen. Okay, so I don't know what I'm talking. I, I apparently I've been drinking too much before the, the podcast today. So uh, my my whole my whole theory here is that the Corolla Cross is a stealth replacement for the CHR. Yes, yeah. they get to push it out of. Uh, out of the showroom in a non-embarrassing way. They say, oh, why would we keep both when we have this Corolla Cross that's selling so well? I mean, we don't know that yet, but I can pretty much guarantee it's going to sell well. This allows them to take the allocation at the factories from away from North America and then beef up what they're selling for the CHR in Europe and other markets where it's doing much better. And everybody wins. But the question is, Sammy, do we win as drivers in North America if we lose the choice between the Corolla Cross and the CHR? I'm... I'm going to say we lose a bit, actually. Uh, this is a weird thing. I, I actually don't know. You know, this is, this is a question I haven't been asked before till right now on the podcast or thought about. But the more I drove the CHR, the more I started realizing it's for a, a very particular uh, type of buyer, one that is rarely thought about, I think, not the mainstream shopper, which is what the Corolla uh, Cross the Corolla uh, Cross is the definition of mainstream, and I'll get into right. that uh, a little more deeply later So on. let me talk about this CHR. Styling is, is uh, a check. You see that, and you're like, that's like nothing else that Toyota makes. Uh, it stands out. It's cool. Well, the, okay, cool asterisk. I mean, it, it will appeal to some people. Asterisk Sammy Hedgestad thinks it's cool. But the interior is also actually quite uh, unique, I think. It, it has what looks like a unique sort of stack in terms of console, uh, in terms of buttons. It doesn't feel like another uh, Toyota product inside. You get these even like interesting little details like uh, a diamond pattern in the headliner, for example. Um, and you have uh, – nowadays it's gotten a little bit more upscale. You've got like stitched leather on the dash and uh, it, it, it just seems like a – like a funky car. Like, I don't so, know how else to say it. You say all of those things as though they're positives. But if I'm Toyota, I'm looking at those as negatives. I'm looking at those as this is something that's not like anything else we sell and that we have no intention of evolving. That's weird. Why can't they have they, – I mean, like I said, maybe we should revisit what they've done with the Venza and the, and the RAV4 hybrid because they made a different product for a different type of buyer. But don't forget – want to be seen in a, in a product named – the RAV4. But don't forget, too, that the Venza was on the market for a long time, then disappeared for a while and came yeah. back. And yeah. I think that the you Venza... Think that name, you think that name recognition is helpful? I'm not sure about that. Uh, but I, if we're talking name recognition, it is an interesting parallel to the Corolla Cross, yeah. which is a vehicle that is, I think, like the Venza, was pushed into white space in the showroom to soak mm-hmm. up sales and and relied on an older nameplate to try and kind of make people be like, oh, that's familiar. And this is people are going to look at the Corolla and think this is just the crossover version of the Corolla, even though that's not true because the hatchback version of the Corolla <laughs> is the crossover version of the Corolla, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a similar strategy. I, I do think it's very similar. I think the Venza is a little more of a half baked product because it has the single hybrid drivetrain, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And it's not very good. It's yeah. somehow that drivetrain moving from the RAV4 to the Venza just feels unfinished. And we Weird, talked about right? that yeah. on a previous episode. So then you're stuck with this idea that if you're going to get a front-wheel drive practical vehicle from Toyota, 
it shouldn't be the CHR because it's not as practical as the Corolla, uh, as the Corolla hatchback. It doesn't drive as well as the Corolla hatchback, I don't think. Um, and even there are things about this car that don't quite add up. It uses a two-liter four-cylinder engine that only makes 144 horsepower and 139 pound-feet of torque, while the two-liter in the Corolla Cross and other Corollas make like 160 horsepower. Yeah, 169, actually. Where did that happen? Why doesn't the CHR get that? Right? Again, I mean, this is a vehicle that was. This is an ugly duckling. This is something yeah, that they don't it, want to. They, you're it, right. They've ignored. They're ignoring it. It just happened, and they're like, "Well, what are we going to do? Let's try to recoup our losses." They're, they've tried to do that, and I'd say they've done a pretty good job at fifty thousand units a year. But mm-hmm. it's a dead end. You know, it doesn't go in in North America at least. Yes, in North America, it's it's a dead end. But that means like, will uh, that's this is a question for later, but. Yours had a CVT, right? I believe so, yes. The Corolla Cross has a CVT. The CHR has a CVT. It is possibly the weakest part of the car. It is. So in the Corolla Cross, I I mean, are we talking about the Corolla Cross for a little while now? Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about it. Okay. So as you mentioned, the CVT is definitely one of the weakest parts of the car. But at the same time, the, the positioning of this crossover is so odd that when I got it, when I first got into it, I felt instantly like I could be driving any vehicle at all on the market, like any felt, any vehicle in this class. It's, it was so anonymous. Not like, it's not like anything. No, yeah, but it was like wallpaper. It was like the, the car made no impression on me. But then the more I drove it, the That's more amazing. I realized that was the point, and yeah. that it was a vehicle that was relatively fuel efficient, had decent cargo space, was comfortable enough. And was cheap to buy. And all these things together, they, they really speak to a huge section of the market who absolutely do not care what badge is on the car as long as that badge is Toyota and it's reliable. Right? So exactly. I think the appliance um, um, reputation that Toyota has earned over the past you know couple of decades is evident right here in the Corolla Cross. Yeah, and I don't and, think you get that in the CHR. No, and I think that's fascinating because in some ways Toyota has tried to move away from the appliance. Like mm-hmm. the new Camry, I think yep. a good example of that. It doesn't feel like an appliance anymore. Apex I, Edition Corolla? <laughs> I'm sorry? Apex Edition Ape- Corolla? But I mean, you know, a Corolla a Corolla hatchback doesn't really feel like an appliance either. It's, it's, no. it's moved away from that. But this vehicle is the definition of an appliance. I mean, it has the from the CVT. <laughs> Yeah. It, it that feels, is the that is the catchphrase of the Corolla Cross. Yeah, I think it, it feels uh. lazy. It's noisy. It's it's not a refined vehicle, but it, at the same time, it's not a rough vehicle. It's not a, you're not driving and you're like, oh, this feels cheap. You're just driving and you're like, this feels like exactly what I paid for. Yeah, and it feels like I'm getting somewhere. Yeah, like, it's hard it. to complain it about. It Feels that. like I'm traveling on the road. That's what the car feels exactly. like. Exactly, it, and I cool. don't think the CHR pulls that that same trick on. No, me. the CHR has too many deliberate design decisions. Whereas the Corolla is just like, this is a vehicle that was designed by committee. It was like, okay, this is what's in the market. This is how it has to look. This is how it has to perform. Here's the small box we're going to place this vehicle into. Whereas the CHR was like, we're going to make a statement. We're not sure what that statement is, but it's going to stick with you. It's fast food. It's accessible. Anyone can enjoy it. Well, maybe that's not fast (laughs) That's not Okay. (laughs) Not that, but all right. Okay. Fine. But yeah, I think anyone can... Not a, not enjoy it, maybe not even appreciate it, but like can deal with it. Like that's it can tolerate it. But uh, you know, we talk. There there are some other sub subcompact crossovers out there, like say the Nissan Kicks. Yeah, that, uh, are also trying to do something different in the sense that they have a personality and they're mm-hmm. cheap and cheerful at the same time. Kona. So, I'm Hyundai sorry, Kona. Yeah, Kona as well. I mean, I might I might even push Kona out of that category. 
I don't think you could compare a Kona to a CHR because I feel like the Kona is just so much more realized as a vehicle. (laughs) Yes. But uh, Uh, the the Kona makes the Kona makes an impression on that entire segment. It says you can be all wheel drive. You can be turbocharged. You can be cool looking. You can be fun to drive. You can be well equipped. But I feel like, yeah, but I feel like the kicks is super basic, but cool at the same time. Like it still has a personality. Whereas I think the CHR is like trying so hard to have a personality that you notice the effort even mm-hmm. if you don't necessarily get the personality. Yes. And then the Corolla Cross is bland. The Corolla Cross is like, it's like a fog. Like you walk into <laughs> it and you're like, I'm in something, but I can't feel its effects on me. And then you walk out of it and you have no memory of the fog. Okay. So let's get to this. Um, this. First of all, you believe in North America that the Corolla Cross will become successful. Yeah, I definitely do. Yes. I think so too. However, when we looked at those sales numbers in Europe where it pushes over 100,000 units, that's a lot, man. That's not an insignificant number. Yeah, but we're talking about North America where they sell 250,000 forerunners a year, and those forerunners haven't been updated since 2011. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then what I'm asking is I know we don't really know a lot about the European market, but do you think the Corolla will make as big of an impact on the, on the European market? I don't think it will be sold there. Ever. It's not sold there now, and it's been on the market for two years. Okay. It's only being sold, I believe, in Asia. Now, that's wild. On the mainland. so interesting. Yeah. So I, I think that they don't want to ruin the good thing they have going with the CHR. I mean, why why shake the shake up the, uh, and the scene? In, in Toyota America numbers, 40,000, 50,000 units is not good enough, so they definitely have to shake no, it. No, but I think they would prefer <laughs> to move those units to Europe. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, who knows what the costs are for them? So what's weird is like I think a lot of the a lot of the CHRs were initially assembled in Turkey and then sold in uh, North America, and now I think they're being assembled in Japan and sold here. But it, you know, logistically, it might be cheaper for them to just send them to Europe. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. So okay, talk to me about this uh, about your your week with the Corolla Cross. Well, what did you get? There's not much more to say. I mean, oh come on, you must have driven it on some kind of road trip. You must have tried. I a didn't actually. I, the car. I didn't. I I did not drive it on a road trip. I did mostly city driving, and okay. it was. I mean, it, if you're looking for a car, this is one. I mean, yeah. that's kind of the impression it leaves. Uh, as I mentioned, talking about walking into a mist is very similar to driving this vehicle. It's it is. This segment is wild in terms of what you can get, and this is why I mentioned the. That's why I think the the segment is interesting because you can get something that has absolutely zero personality, and then you can get something that's really interesting, like say a Kona N N or Kona N line or something like that, which are I mean maybe they're not considered the same category, but the same size um, and and appearance, right? Uh, you know, I would never recommend against the Corolla Cross. Right. I think if you want to buy it. Go ahead. I don't think there's anything about it where you're going to be like, after a year, disappointed. Um, if this vehicle appeals to you at all, mm-hmm. if if you don't need excitement, if you're okay with just getting a good bargain on a vehicle that's useful and looks decent, I mean, there's there's nothing really to 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 speak ill about this model. It is just the average of averages. It's going to be reliable. A hybrid's coming next year. If you want to wait and get that, but I mean, who knows? It might be worse. It might be, you know, like the Venza. I didn't really enjoy it all with that hybrid. So, if, I think, if, but the, I think the hybrid will be better because the, there's something about the powertrain in the in the Corolla Cross that's a bit. It's slow, man. Like it's yeah, not. Very I mean, it's like nine point two seconds to sixty. But who cares? You know, <laughs> yeah, who cares? How many of these do you think will ever even see sixty miles an hour? <laughs> um. 
do you think this will kill uh, any current Corolla model? No, I don't think so. I think that just the CHRs on watch. Yeah, I don't. I think that <laughs> the if Toyota has the Corolla hatchback in the market now, given how slow compact car sales in general, they're probably committed to it. Okay. So I think they're okay with it being a small niche um, market for them. Also, you know, Corolla Cross is going to go up against Rav Four if it goes up against anything. And people are going to look at it and be like, why would I pay more for a RAV4, which is considerably more expensive. Uh, I think the pricing on the RAV4, yeah, it's it's another $4,000. So that's not an inconsiderable gap. That's, that's, that's not a small gap. No. So if anything, that's where you're going to see people bleed away in the showroom. Yeah, or wow. maybe Venza, but I mean, Venza is even more expensive. No, Venza which is, is expensive. I don't understand who's paying a premium for the Venza. Exactly. I, I get it's somebody who didn't who, who associates the RAV4 with a... With a entry or basic yeah because the rav4 hybrid is even three grand less than a venza and it's good it's definitely good and it's more fuel efficient so (laughs) um this is such a i i'm curious to see what will happen how long do you think so this car this chr first landed in in north america in 2017 it's been on the market now for five years two years huh six years what two years is my that's my estimate it was left for it. Dead, dead, dead crossover walking. Two years okay. left. Seven year product cycle. Although at Toyota, again, famous for ten year, fifteen year product cycles. That's true. I d- forgot that they sold two hundred thousand forerunners with 250, no fifty thousand. I'm pretty sure. No update. That's no, my it's like it looks slightly different, different, but it has the same interior and that five speed automatic transmission. It might be the only five speed automatic left on the market. Is the Journey still sold? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. The Journey, the Journey used to be sold with a four-speed, I think. Oof. Well, the Corolla had it. Remember when the Corolla? Or maybe that's what I'm mistaking it. Remember the Corolla had a four-speed until like 2013 or something, 2014. Yeah. Um, good times. It is wild to me that this has happened. I think that TNGA platform that these two vehicles ride on is actually quite good. Um, to see the CHR um, disappear. I think is a bit of a miss for Toyota because maybe it does capture this weird um, I think front-wheel CHR drive. I think has been a miss for Toyota since day one. That's so weird. I think it's a it's a really it's a really cool car. Yeah, I but think you're it, also a Scion owner. That is true. <laughs> and you're a Subaru exactly owner. the demographic. <laughs> but I mean, I see so much. You know, the segment can be so bland, man. Like it can be so boring. Do you remember the Honda HRV? What do you mean? Remember it? It's still. Do you remember it? It's still. I mean, it feels like it, it's been around for ten years. The HRV is a great comparator for the Corolla Cross because yeah. the HRV was another vehicle that was totally let down by its drivetrain, just in the sense that the Fit was fun to drive, and then they'd be like, "Oh, the HRV is the crossover version of the Fit," and you get into it, and you're like, "Okay, I understand that it's you know." The cargo space is good; it's configurable. But once you turn the turn the vehicle on and try to drive it, it was just so slow and unresponsive and it felt very heavy um so the corolla cross doesn't necessarily feel like unresponsive heavy and slow even though it is those things Mm -hmm. it's just i think by now we're more used to that average experience the Uh, hrv was like that the glove that slapped you for the duel it was like welcome to crossovers now and you're like no i'm not ready but now corolla (laughs) cross is like hey i'm I'm ready to party and you're like yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) so are we now at peak crossovers yet 
No, I think we still have some white space to divvy up. I think there's For the still subcompact some... segment. Yeah, we need we need some sub subcompact. Like, there's no crossover version of the Chevrolet Spark, and once that happens, what? The Spark... what are you talking? They have two. Chevy has two crossovers. No, no, no. The Spark is gone. They have the tracks and the and the what's the other one called? The Trailblazer. Trailblazer. So the the Spark is gone next year. And, and think... what about the Spark Active? Is I that think... a real car? What? That's yeah, the man. one where they have like slightly taller suspension. It's a car. It's a vehicle. Chevy yeah, yeah, yeah. Spark Active. It, they give it slightly taller suspension. But I'm saying the Spark's dead as of next year, and the Trax is too. So like, uh, Trailblazer I have never is... seen a Spark Active on the road ever. So I mean, ever... I'm sure the height ride height difference is imperceptible. If you were even to see one, I don't think you would notice it. Okay. Um, I think we're at peak, man. We filled it in. Everyone. Mitsubishi. Got the... Mirage crossover. That is going to be peak crossover. I don't and I don't think it will ever happen that's... because Nissan's like, no, we're not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't do that. You can have an Outlander, but that's it. Yes. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, there's a couple other things that oh, happened uh, this week. Oh, I, saw, I thought about the Corolla Crossover. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm well past that. You're done uh, that. Something I really wanted to touch on, for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast, we've We've been following the life and times of the Honda Asimo robot over its apparently 20 years of service. Uh, This past week, actually last week, the Asimo was retired and they had a retirement ceremony for it. For those of you who are familiar, again, Asimo is like a humanoid looking robot with a backpack. And it's always like bowing to people and shaking their hands and pretending that it's human. And that's always really bothered me. Because, I mean, it's cl- like it's it's clearly just trying to ingratiate itself to us in in advance of the robot takeover. I know okay. Sammy has always been on the side of robots. I'm kind of on the fence, but Asimo really pushed me in the direction of, you know, this just isn't right. It, it's four foot three and 120 pounds of kind of like white-robed paranoia. And uh, it's done. Asimo is done. According to the press releases, Asimo could recognize gestures, postures, and moving objects. Okay, um, right. That's, I mean, that doesn't make it human. <laughs> I mean, that's limited. That's limited now. It, it can climb stairs and hop around on the floor. Uh, that's very interests. important features for a robot, I think. It met Barack Obama. Yeah. Barack, sorry, I don't know why I said Barack. That's okay. By ri- and it rang the bell of the New York Stock Exchange. So anyway, twenty years of robot development, and this is what you get. Uh, apparently, they started developing it back in the eighties. Anyway, no more Asimo. It's gone. Sammy, how do you feel about this? I first of all, how come a robot can retire? How does that happen? What does it do now? Do they just unplug it? Does yeah, it I think they just flip a like switch. Florida? They flip a switch and it goes to a it goes to a museum. You know what's funny is they had these pictures of the retirement ceremony. Yeah. And I'm not sure if this is the lighting or not, but like the tops of its shoulders and its head are yellowed like an old Nintendo. It looks exactly like an old Nintendo. It's all yellow. You're right. Yeah, it, it's I don't know if they kind of cheaped out on Asimo. Also, it doesn't really have a face. It just has a black space where a face would be. Yes. I'm kind of into that. Because That's means, what you would like to have? It means I don't have to look a robot in the eye. And if I can go my whole life without having looked a robot in the eye, I feel like that's good for my soul. You've probably already looked at robots Once in the I eye. Once I look I'm a robot sorry. in the eye, I know I'm going to be replaced. Um, this, this is, I don't know. I think when you look back at when we first saw um, Asimo, it was supposed to represent this kind of like um, innovation and this idea of you know Japan, Japanese automakers being on the forefront of of really 
new and impressive technology. And then um, it just kind of nothing happened. And then it didn't really do anything, right? It didn't – yeah, it walked upstairs and it hopped around. And it met the president. And then Hyundai came out with like this exoskeleton thing that was designed to help people with mobility issues walk around. And then that disappeared into I'm guessing the military industrial complex where it's probably killed thousands of times. Boston, on top secret missions like all over the world. Boston Dynamics with these robots that can like parkour and do front flips and dance and stuff. And like Asimo kind of looks real dated now, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know. It, it is. It's weird. I don't I know. I wonder what to if say. that black helmet mask was meant to conceal the fact that there was like human tissue behind it. Like there was like a brain, like mm-hmm. Robocop style. No, I think it's kind of like a PC gaming, uh, a PC gaming tower. Like uh, you're supposed to see all the cool lights and RGB in there, and uh, they just tinted it too too hard. Fair enough, <laughs> tinted it too hard. Yeah, we've all been there. Um, I want to talk about another piece of uh, of more less robot related, more automotive related. There's a new engine coming um, from. In case you were wondering, is the internal combustion engine dead? Stellantis is here to tell you no. I mean, surprise, surprise, Stellantis is still into the eternal combustion engine, which I think is amazing. So, in fact, they unveiled um, a new three-liter inline-six twin-turbocharged engine. It's dubbed um, Hurricane, which is a throwback to, I think, an old Jeep engine. Or an old LL Cool J lyric. Yes. Bring the hurricane pain. Oh, yes. Okay. Mama um, said, knock you out. Come on, yeah. Sammy. You got to keep up pop culture. <laughs> I, I was running through the song in my head. I wasn't I wasn't mocking you. Or, that or pop culture is older you. than the Asimo robot. <laughs> Which has been retired. So wow. it's okay. If make of that what you will. Okay. The engine is a inline six turbo. It's supposed to make as much power as um, as one of the V8s um, that V8s that Stellantis makes it makes more power. I think the, there's yeah. two versions, right? Like one of them is 400 horsepower, and the other one is 500 horsepower. Like That's those right. are the, the rough than. estimates. Yeah, they say at least 400 horsepower for the standard output, and then at least 500 horsepower for the high output. So that beats the 5.7, and it beats the 6.4. Yeah. Um, so that sounds pretty promising, right? Sure. I mean, I'm interested. I like the idea of a twin turbo inline six. I also like the idea of an inline six because it means rear wheel drive most of the time. Yes. So I think I mentioned this. There's a they they said it's a they used the term north south north south engine, which I think means longitudinally. Yes. Yes. So I've never I don't think I've ever heard it used that way in all of my days. No, no, but, no, not, not not long not yeah yeah longitudinally. Yeah, sorry. I don't know. I said it. I said a mini stroke. It's okay. Um, which means that it will fit probably in their trucks, um, and maybe if they're going to make a new a new. Rear-wheel drive car? Oh, well, comes that Fiat platform Challenger that we've been promised for, like, a long time now. The, I think we've it's been known as the Barracuda for, like, 15 years. So there's that. Never I don't see us getting another Charger unless rental companies need them. But if rental companies need them, I don't think they need a 400-horsepower <laughs> twin-turbo i6. I think they would actually actively campaign against giving that to their customers. Um. So then the the other ones are uh, – the other things that we need to mention about this, it uses this really interesting um, uh, spray spray bore coating. I'm trying to get the right name for it. What's interesting anyway, about it? Hit me, with the, hit me with some knowledge. It's supposed to be extremely durable and only a few other automakers have uh, incorporated this kind of technology. I think BMW does it for their inline sixes. I think the Nissan GTR has this kind of uh, bore coating and, or cylinder coating. 
and the Shelby GT500 has this too. So that puts into mind the kind of like development that went into this this new motor. I think one thing that's important to point out when we're talking about this hurricane thing is it's clear that this is only going to be in high performance or heavy duty applications because I can't imagine the fuel economy is good enough to put it in a standard passenger car. Okay. So I, I think you'll see this in like luxury models from Alfa Romeo if that happens. Uh, you'll see it in the Ram like you mentioned and you'll Do see it. Do you think it... an Alfa buyer will be okay with like a – I know it sounds weird but like an American engine in their car? Yeah, I think so. – I mean who knows if this is an American engine. We don't know if Fiat played a role in developing it. I'm sure they okay. did. Uh, but I, well, I just... it was built It was built in, in – in, where is it? Auburn Hills. I mean this is trucks and muscle cars at this point. Yeah. And they kept mentioning this – to us that it was built by like a very small team secretly located within the within the facility that seems odd like why yeah (laughs) yes absolutely it was the strangest thing for them to keep mentioning to us like oh very very couple very few people knew about this it's like that that kind of points that it's going to be even more restrictive because i was going to say maybe we'll see it in a wrangler we're definitely Mm -hmm. going to see it in a grand cherokee and a grand wagoneer right yes absolutely but yeah, in it, fact, there were leaks or, or something like that where it was an option for a very short period of time on the Wagoneer build building building price. I mean, the Wagoneer um, needs to do something because the the fuel mileage in that vehicle is horrendous, and I'm going to be towing with one in a month, and it's, <laughs> it's going to be bad news. Yeah. So, and then other people really jumped on jumped down their throats when they're you know just uh, I think earlier this month, um, or sorry, in in the beginning of March, they kept talking about how they're they're going all electric and they've got all these platforms and these batteries and all this stuff. And now they're like, Oh yeah, one more thing. We're making some sweet, um, sweet music with our gas motors too. Um, isn't it okay though? Like, shouldn't we be the, the electric thing? Isn't going to be, it's going to take a while to go. Well, all electric, I mean, currently right? electric vehicles are 3% of sales. So yeah. I mean, so we still have to sell some gas thing. And if you look at, Solantis, their V8 engines are extremely old. The 5.7 dates all the way back to the mid 2000s. It's essentially it was it's been revised once, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously they did a lot of cool stuff with the Hellcat in terms of technology. But the basic 5.7 and the basic 6.4 are not all that different from how they originally came out. Um, they're more sophisticated, but I don't. We're not going to see a third generation of those engines. Yes. And if you look, um, you know, Toyota has gone to an all turbo six lineup now for the Tundra. Ford has one V8 engine available, and they also have that the the Godzilla motor that, they, that they're that I don't think many people are buying uh, as an option on the commercial <laughs> trucks. Yeah. So it's not that unusual. I mean, the of, of the pickup truck world, really only GM is married to the V8. They have two V8s that they use quite a bit in their large body on frame vehicles. So. Uh, now that Stellantis has walked away from their two V8s, which I, I think is what's happening here, we're going to see maybe more and more of that across the board. So, you're okay with this? You're you're okay with more with more, more gas engines instead of uh, everyone pivoting hard to electric electric motors? Of course, I'm okay with it. I mean, I I, what choice do I have? They also showed us in the presentation for this. Um, they put this motor on this um, cool little rig, you know, like a dyno rig. Um, and we could hear it going um, bonkers. It sounded great, but they also this rig also like articulated and and like rotated and like went upwards and downwards to kind of show. They were trying to suggest that 
like you mentioned, in a performance application, whether it's on a on hitting a corner or something like that, or maybe going uphill or downhill, that this motor will still be um, really reliable at high, high RPM. So I think you are onto something that maybe a performance vehicle is where we will see this probably the, for the first time. But also those trucks will will do the trick as well. Well, I mean, I would I would hope that it could go around a corner and up a hill. <laughs> I don't know. They they made it clear that like you know engines or oil starvation issues or something like that could 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 be a problem, and they were like they addressed that. <laughs> All right. Well, it, with that in mind, yes. If people wanted to address problems with our podcast. Oh, or no. had questions, or wanted to make comments. How would they be? How how can they get in touch with us, Sammy? Very easily, they can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. and uh, there's a contact form there. You fill that out, and lands in our inbox. Additionally, you can reach out to us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, or you can hit us up on social media. Ben is on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin, and he is probably the most responsive person I've ever met on on Instagram. He was he he likes and responds to messages almost instantly, right, Ben? Yeah, all the time. I am on twenty four seven. I am in a prison of digital contact. And you can find me um, on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha h a like you're laughing. Uh, furthermore, when you go to our website, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see photos of the cars that we've driven. You can see links to the stories that we've written about. Um, and additionally, you can see links to our Ko-Fi page. So we've been very fortunate to have um, a Ko-Fi in our um, – you guys have donated very generously to our podcast. We don't really ask you to donate, but we would appreciate it if you do. Uh, it helps us keep the lights on. It helps us keeping good content, providing um, – you know, fun stories and, and features like we've been doing lately. And uh, we just head on over there, ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. And uh, Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? I have to look at my schedule because I have an embargo about something I can't Someone talk about. Someone is so fancy they have their own schedule. Hey, I get it. I think I can talk to you about this Forester Wilderness that I've been driving. Or Wilderness as we... Wilderness as is the our custom. I am going to be... Talking about the Kia Sorento plugin, which okay, I've been cool. driving recently. And yeah, I definitely have some thoughts about it. Some thoughts that I didn't think I would have. Like what? What the? <laughs> You'll have to tune in next week, okay. Sammy. And I know that contractually you're obligated to be here next week. Yes, it is in my it is in my contract. I know. Again, you should have read it before you signed it. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye.